Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast from the Australian Men's Shed Association, shoulder to shoulder, virtually. Hello and welcome to The Shed Wireless, where today we turn our focus to the future. Ted Donnelly, Barry Golding and David Helmers will all tackle the question, what does the future of the shedding movement look like in Australia and maybe globally? We're going to take a tour of the Parramatta District Men's Shed. And by tour, I mean tour. You're literally going to be walked from room to room through this remarkable building and pretty remarkable men's shed. Rip gets ripped this week, yes. Why have a six-pack if you can have a whole slab? And we've got some great mailbag feedback to share with you shortly as well. But as always, we are joined by the Executive Officer of the Australian Men's Shed Association. Hello, David Helmers. Hello, Aaron Carney. Good to hear you again, mate. And you. It's it's interesting to be looking to the future because uh, funny how mindfulness has come up as a theme in the last few weeks on the oh. show. And if you just zoom out a little bit and look at the last few months, months, we sort of went from being mindful of our current situation to suddenly being thrust into the crisis of COVID. And now we're just starting to get our heads up and turn our heads to the future. But of course, it's something that you never really had the luxury of ignoring, is it? No. And you know, it's been a roller coaster ride for everybody, to say <laughs> the least. And yeah. now we're just starting to peep around the corner and yeah, we know all the sheds are anxious to open and in some states they've been allowed to open given some restrictions. Some states they haven't. Some states are on standby to open. So, yeah, we'll, we'll do our best to keep them up to date with the latest and greatest information, of course. But it's it's been one hell of a ride, Darren, that's for sure. Can I ask a tough question? And this will be partially covered in our chat later with Barry Golding. But how do you find the balance as the executive officer between all that is good about the sheds, the autonomy of the sheds to self-determine, which is one of the, the key things that is good about the shedding movement, but also making sure that you are sufficiently innovative and forward-focused that the movement doesn't become irrelevant or doesn't serve the emerging generations of men. Look, that is a tough one, mate. Thanks for that. <laughs> and I think we've always, in some ways, rolled with the punches. Um, we're here to serve the sheds and we take a lot of information and ideas in and, you know, manufacture and mould that into what can be, you know, achievable by the sheds. Mm. But, you know, it was never anyone's intent to create this men's shed movement worldwide. It was, you know, as I've said before, it was never even dreamed about. Mm. Um, so we've been reactive to a lot of situations and I think that gave us a bit of a head start when the whole COVID thing happened, we reacted and you know, history shows that now we've reacted well and made some really good decisions and some good mm. advice. We're not there, as you said, we can't control the sheds. One of the secret elements to the success of men's sheds is that they're fully autonomous and have their own ability to make decisions. Mind you, in saying that, in the last two weeks they've all been coming to us to make a decision for them on whether they can or cannot go back to the shed which is um, kind of ironic and it's something that we we cannot do um, we can't override those laws that are in place and I have to agree with the sheds those those laws and regulations are, are very difficult to interpret 
Um, we, we said on this last week, when you're talking to the COVID lines and that, please be very specific in explaining your situation and don't try and fit the you know, square peg in a round hole, so to speak. And in this connected world that we live in now, you can talk to your mate in a shed in the next state and the set of circumstances that they're working to can be completely different to the expectations that you'll have to follow. Exactly, exactly. And even down to regional, you know, some... Mm. We've had instances where some councils and land, you know, owners of the sheds have said, yes, you can go back. And then across the, into the next council area, they've decided to keep a lot of their public facilities closed for another three, four weeks. Mm. So it gets really technical and tricky and you you just can't override that. As much as we'd love to be able to, we'd love nothing more than to say to the shedders, yep, go back to work, guys, go make some sawdust. Um, But we're not no way we're in a position to do that that probably leads us to something that i wanted to raise and it might provide some perspective for those of us in australia as i hope you are all aware the shed wireless now has its own email so you are able to feed back to us of course you're most welcome to talk about the shed wireless at the men's shed online and via our Facebook and social media and all of that sort of thing. But if you actually want to talk to us directly, you can do so at theshedwireless at menshed.net. And we heard this week from Rob Kingman. Uh, Let me share the email first of all, and then you'll see why it's relevant. Uh, Rob says, hi, I found your podcast really interesting, especially following your progress in getting sheds reopened. I think you're going to be well ahead of us. I was in Queensland last October and visited... Burpengary? Am I saying that right, David? Burpengary? Uh, oh, I wouldn't question you on it. <laughs> right, let's go. Burpengary, I want to hear from you if we're getting it wrong. Okay, anyway, Rob says, I was in Queensland last October and visited Burpengary Men's Shed, Sausage Sizzle at Bunnings, Lawn Mower into Shed Racing and Workshop Activities. Very lively. I feel like we need to talk to Burpengary if only to get their names right. Anyway, Rob says, UK Menshed published your website in the monthly newsletter and we look forward to keeping up to date. Well, walking back through those points that you've raised, Rob, uh, first of all, thank you for sharing and I get to see the data and it's quite remarkable where around the world the Shed Wireless is being listened to. We're going to have a bit of an international flavoured episode coming up shortly and I'll drill down into that, but you'll be amazed some of the places where we are being heard. So glad that you had a great experience in Queensland. And yes, I think it's, I think you'd become an honorary Australian if you actually have a sausage sizzle at Bunnings these days. I I think that's a requisite actually. (laughs) Uh, The the big controversy is whether or not you have onion. But the key point that uh, made me want to mention Rob's email, David, is it is clear that in other parts of the world, uh, things are moving a lot more slowly than they are here. So while we might be towy, could perhaps be counting our blessings. Oh, especially so. Talking to our colleagues um, in England and Ireland and the US quite regularly, yes, we're moving a lot faster than there. And yeah, you've got to reflect on that in those countries too. Um, we've, we've really dodged a bit of a bullet when it comes to coronavirus um, in comparison. Mm. I know it's been tough for everybody, but when you look at the data coming out and speak to people in those countries, you know, it's just mind-blowing how many people have been affected by it. So, yes, we've, we're going to be... The sheds in Australia will be open a lot earlier than those in England and Ireland, that's for certain. 
Since we've popped open the mailbag, David, uh, another offering to the Shed Wireless at menshed.net this week says, just to simply say to the Shed Wireless team, well done. Very interesting and informative while still easy listening. We'll continue to make our members at Uminer Beach Men's Shed Incorporated in New South Wales well aware of this excellent facility. With the shed closures and virus restrictions, it strikes me that it's an excellent time for Anta to have launched this new concept. Well done and best regards. Vic Brown, Secretary at Uminer Beach Men's Shed Incorporated, uh, not too far from where you and I are now. Just down the road a little bit. Just down the road. We're hearing from near and far. So thank you, Vic. Really appreciate you taking the effort. And if you would like to hear your shed shouted out to wherever you are, whether you're in the UK like Rob or just down the road like Vic, then it's as simple as dropping us a note, uh, an email, just theshedwireless at menshed.net. They all find us and we really do appreciate it. And even if we don't read you out here, we'll certainly get back to you on a one-on-one basis. I know you're looking forward to, because you didn't participate in the conversation with Ted Donnelly, but uh, uh, the grandfather of the shedding movement, David, continues to strike an amazing balance between uh, having a strong sense of history, but still looking to innovate. And so this chat about the future is interesting. I've known Ted for, oh, 16 years, I think now. So Mm. quite a long time. And yeah, we've built a very good, you know, personal relationship as, you know, we all affectionately, you know, call Ted as grandfather of men's sheds. And I think, you know, I've got a bit of a, that personal relationship with Ted too. Mm-hmm. He's like a, a secondary grandfather to us. You know, it's been a pleasure to know him for all these years. But, you know, the future of sheds and what it holds in a post-COVID-19 world is, you know, yet to be seen. But, you know, there's probably a few things we can take into the equation as a known certainty. We're going to have a lot of... Um, higher unemployment in the nation for quite some time after this, uh, which could possibly reflect on, you know, membership numbers in sheds. Um, We're already getting information in from some of the sheds that they've got, you know, 15 plus more people on their books on the waiting list for when they reopen. Mm. So, and I think we'll see the demographics change a little too with a lot of younger men getting involved in the sheds. And you know, that, that can be a really good thing. A lot of sheds, as we know with our surveys, have said, how do we attract younger people to the sheds? Well, this may be an opportunity there, you know, un- in the unfortunate circumstances, but, you know, a very realistic, you know, set of circumstances. And I think that may very much change the future of shedding, you know, around the country and possibly around the world. Yeah, well, I think this is perhaps a conversation for a a little further down the track, but I'm also interested that there's a lot of speculation that post-COVID there will be decentralisation. A lot of people Uh who are living in big cities may, particularly if they're in senior positions, move to rural and regional areas and then they will be uh, arriving in retirement, not unemployment, just retirement. They'll be arriving in ways that they haven't before as well. So the opportunities and the challenges are many going forward. All right, let's go find Ted in the shed. You're listening to The Shed Wireless. I want to bring you now part two of a discussion with the founding grandfather of the men's shed movement, the longest serving shedder in the world, Ted Donnelly. We heard in an earlier episode of The Shed Wireless, and I recommend you find it and check it out, about how Ted helped with the startup of several early sheds and was the co-author of the manual setting up a men's shed 
that became the blueprint for what we know today. He developed early websites for both AMSA and the state associations. And in 2007, he brought together representatives of the few sheds that then existed and developed and registered the Australian Men's Shed Association and proposed the formal establishment of AMSA. He ran it out of his spare bedroom for ages and in 2013 was made a member of the Order of Australia, which in his typically humble way, he regards as Australia's way of acknowledging and honouring the great work that men sheds everywhere do. So I want to pick up the conversation at the point where I asked Ted if he knew the shed movement would go global with thousands of members worldwide as it now has. Well, I'd have left you out of the door. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I'd probably have got the, the mental people in to take you away. <laughs> no, we, we just, we, we just uh, it was just, uh, you know, people say it was a great thing you set up. I mean, we, we joined for, for purely selfish reasons, really. <laughs> you know, I was working in my garage doing bits of woodwork and things, you know, and this was a tremendous thing. We got in and there were tools and uh, places and, and 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 you know other blocks to talk to. So uh, it was a bit of a selfish thing when we started off. Really, um, it, uh, we, we had no concept of of, of what of what, how this was going to go at all. One of the reasons why we love you is your humility, and I respect you for that. But the truth of the matter is that this wouldn't be what it was if you were just acting selfishly. You saw what it was doing for other people, and your generous nature made sure that you fertilised far and wide, uh, and that work is still bearing fruit. I know you don't like talking about it, but I want to talk about it for a moment. Uh, When we have a national conference. There is a special presentation of an award in your name that honours somebody who makes an outstanding contribution to the men's shed movement. In 2011, Barry Golding awarded it to you and he has won it as well and some of the great contributors have over the years. What does it mean to you that for as long as there is a men's shed movement, there will be an honour like that in your name? Oh, I'm, I'm, I feel very honoured. I mean, if anybody was, the people who were there at the conference would tell you, um, when I went up to get it in 2011, I, I was I was just speechless. I just couldn't, uh, <laughs> I just couldn't find anything to say at that time. It was It was overwhelming, really. No, it's a very great honour. What do you see as the future of the shed movement? As somebody who knows its past, how do you imagine its future? Oh, I, I think it will it will go on for a long time. I mean, uh, and and will develop. The, the the big thing in in the shed is you get someone who comes in and 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 you know they're, they're as tight as a drum. That last few yards of actually walking in the shed to join is really really hard for many people. And you see them in and they're tight and, and then gradually over, oh, it takes two or three weeks often, you know, they, they relax and then they're as cheeky as everybody else. But even after 21 years of this, I am still amazed at seeing how many lonely men coming in to join R. And you think, goodness gracious, man, we haven't moved very far in 21 years, have we, when we've still got these enormous number of people who really want something to do and 
and and you know they're they're still there and and they're going to be there for a long long time I think it it may this is this is working on at present on I suppose my generation when when some of the younger generation come in they they've had a completely different life experience and you know they may want to change things differently they may not have the same sort of values that we had so uh, there could well be changes there on it actually. One change that I would like to see, I, I put a I put a paper up at the last conference um, because I sort of feel that, you know, the, the men's sheds, we, we've always had a really good reputation for helping men at stages of the life when they're facing socialisation. You know, when blokes are made redundant and they're down, they go in the shed and the magic happens and they've got a team and their mates and all the rest of it. But really that just happens whilst they're still in the shed. Well, the problem that happens is if you want to be still in the shed, but you have to involuntarily leave because of health reasons or because someone in the family, a carer, has had a problem and you've got um, you know, a, a partner and you've got to come out and, and become a carer, in a way, you're even worse than you, are, you were when you started at the men's shed because you're now in a completely alien land of um, having to learn how to do a washing up and cooking and and, and and you've got to face all the problems of working your way through aged care legislation. It's it's a hell of a step. And and all the sheds and everybody says, Oh look, you know, when you leave, come in for a coffee, don't you know, don't forget, just pop in for a coffee anytime. And many of them do. But then it drops off. And I've spoken to a lot of these blokes who should come in but don't. And and I said, Well, why don't you come in? And they said, Well, you know, the, the problem now is that we're not doing anything in there and, and we feel we're intruding a bit and, uh, um, you know, there's new people in there. We, we feel really that we're no longer proper shedders and we don't really have a legitimate reason to be in the shed and we're a bit of a nuisance. So what I suggested was that we start a new level of membership for people, for people who can't work on a shed project and for want of a name, I just call them shed mates and if someone gets into this situation, they just cease being a shedder and become a shed mate. But they're still officially part of the shed and they have a legitimate reason for going in any time. And really that the shed should have a, a link who just gives them a phone call now and again and, and, and invites them in. And, and, and maybe every first meeting in the month is shed mate day. And, uh, you know, so they have every reason to come in and have a coffee at lunchtime and you know that I, I think that that yeah, and really keep that mateship right through life, not just for the time that they're actually a member of the shed. During this shutdown period here, I've been particularly impressed by how the, the, the people in the village here, of all the, the the number of telephone calls that's going on now, and how appreciative they are about getting a phone call. And I thought that's what we really should be doing for blokes who have had to leave the shed even though they didn't want to, you know. So I would like to see that pushed on a bit further, really, if it uh, if it can be. Ted, I think that's a real challenge for anybody who is listening to this. And I wonder whether it's a conversation we should take to the Men's Shed Online as to how that might work. And uh, I'm sure there will already be somebody out there across Australia who is making some progress in this regard 
It is why we love you so much. It is why your legacy uh, will be felt for generations is because even at this stage with everything that you've done, you continue to think of ways that the Shed Movement can get better. It's always an honour when I get a few moments of your time. Thank you for being a special guest today. And uh, it's a real thrill to have the grandfather of Men's Sheds on the Shed Wireless. Thanks, Ted. Yeah, well, thanks, Aaron. Thanks for being on, and, and I hope it all goes well with the uh, with the wireless. The founding grandfather of the men's shed movement, the longest serving shedder in the world, Ted Donnelly. Nailed it! Nailed it! Nailed it! Nailed it! With Rip Woodchip. Shadows, rip wood chip here. How are you all going today? I've just been out pulling the weeds in the driveway this morning. Those bloody things seem to grow like buggery every time you turn your back on them. I wish me bloody veggies would grow as well as me weeds. I don't understand why they don't. I give them the same lack of attention. But like anything, I guess, the longer you let it go, the harder it is to get back in order. I did have them under control. The problem is I let them get so bad that now it's a bloody task and a half to get them back into a manageable state again. Slack ass I am. And I was told that ignorance was bliss. What a crock. I've tried mowing over them, spraying them with weed killer, but that just doesn't bloody get rid of them. They either grow back or they just die and still stay there staring at me, just a little bit browner than green. It took me a long time to figure out though, although it never was as sharp as tool in the shed, that sometimes the longest way around is the quickest way home. So now the only way to take back charge is to roll up my sleeves and pull them out one by one by the roots. It's kind of like about this time last year. I managed to let myself go a little bit and wasn't given the old unit the respect it deserves. I always said my body is my temple, but I was tending to treat it a little bit like the local waste depository for a time there. I wasn't doing nothing, just started to get a bit slack and my daily walks with Charlie become more like weekly walks and my weekly desserts had more become daily, if you know what I mean. Anyway... We did one of them spanner in the works health check thingies down at the shed and that was pretty much the shot in the arm or kick in the ass I needed to snap myself into gear and kick start the heart again. So pretty much like attacking the weeds, I had to roll up my sleeves and get myself back on track into a manageable state again. Inch by inch, anything's a cinch, me mum used to say. So I just chipped away at the old flanges by doing a bit more every day and easing up on the intake. Simple as that and not nearly as fat. Can't say it didn't take a bit of hard work at first and plenty of the rip-style persistence that we've spoken about before, but I got there. And now it's just a matter of regular maintenance and I managed to easily stay me trim, taunt and terrific self. Trouble is, the missus can't keep her bloody hands off me now. Feisty little thing she is. Anyway, if you need any tips, check out the Spanner in the Works website or ask the fellas on the shed online even. Help is always at your fingertips. Oh, crikey. She's giving me one of them looks again now, boys. I'm going to get out of here. Good to chat to you, fellas. Talk to you next week. See you, fellas. Staying strong. Staying sharp. And staying healthy. With the Shed Wireless. At the weekend, we were madly rushing around and I said to my wife, 
gee, this is a weird feeling. I haven't had this sense of pressure to hurry, 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 hurry for some time. And it occurred to me that the whole isolation, while it has been challenging on many fronts, it certainly in our busy lives gave us a moment to pause. And we thought that was something that we should explore this week with the Men's Health Project Officer for the Australian Men's Shed Association, Stuart Torrens. Hello, Stuart. How are you? Yeah, well, thank you. There's this whole sense of hurry, 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 hurry. And in particular, for blokes who go from jobs that have a lot of pressure to retirement, uh, this can be a tough adjustment, right? Oh, it's like coming out of a pressure cooker into the um, fresh air and just taking a, a lung full of uh, this fresh air and going, what the heck do I do with that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the picture that you paint there is, oh, what a merciful relief and whatever it is, but it's also really unfamiliar territory and quite off-putting, isn't it? Yeah, what is this? <laughs> it's, it's like, what's going on here? I, I think we all felt it for the first couple of weeks of COVID. It's, um, uh, the, especially the lockdown, it was really trying to wrap your head around the slowness of everything. And now, as we start to kick back, the inverse is going to be true, that how do we stay present, embrace calmness. I think the popular modern term is mindfulness. This is going to be uh, quite a challenge to plot a pathway forward on this. I think a lot of people have actually embraced mindfulness, mm. whether they realise it or not, um, through this COVID experience. Can we talk about that then? What do you understand mindfulness to be? Um, being in the moment, um, being present, uh, being aware, not only of what's around us, what we see, what we hear visually in our own spatial premise, but uh, when we look at ourselves and focus on our own breathing, our own thoughts, sometimes we get tied up with so much information. We're in an age of information overload. And sometimes it's good just to let it go and uh, focus in on um, your your breath, on your breathing, on your um, on your presence, and on your state of mind at any one given time. I know that you're pretty aware. You put a lot of effort into this area. Do you actually practice this? I do uh, a lot. I, I've spoke about anxiety that I've had in the past and, and, and get on the, the odd occasion. It just comes, they say be anxious for nothing, but I re I literally am anxious for nothing and it comes out of nowhere. Mm. And then mm. what I have to do is, is practice my mindfulness. I, I need to find a quiet space and hey, that could be anywhere from the toilet seat to a, a quiet room just by myself and, uh, basically stop and take a minute to listen to my breath and I literally do that for a minute and what I find is I come out with a different headspace a different perspective uh, on what's around. I want to walk through that a little more thoroughly but before we do it would seem to me that critical is the self-intervention you kind of have to have the self-awareness and the self-talk to be able to recognize the moment and act on it. Is that something you had to learn? And if so, how can we learn it? Oh, Aaron, for, for months, I, I dealt with the panic in a poor fashion. Um, uh, I would run around, I would take pills, I would uh, uh, frantically try and uh, talk to anybody, anyone and everyone that would listen. 
but I didn't make sense because I was that overwhelmed in my in my state um, that no one really could help. Uh, and it wasn't until someone actually told me to sit down and take a minute, it started to dawn on me that that was what I needed to do when these things uh, came about. I actually took a, a group called Recharge Your Batteries for um, people that look after someone with Alzheimer's. And we called the, the group Recharge Your Batteries because one of the things male carers really want to do is just have that little bit of extra energy to continue their caring role. Uh, they're that focused on, on that caring role. Nothing else matters. What they wanted was that uh, little bit of recharge so they could keep on in their role. We did that over a four-week period, but we didn't actually teach them that until the third week because there was a lot of things about health and well-being uh, and the disease that they needed to know prior to that to get them into the right headset. Uh, and then on the third week, we actually taught them one-minute mindfulness to literally stop, empty their mind of anything that was done, is going to happen, or is happening um, so the the um, before the the here and now and the future, put them things aside and just listen to their breath in and out uh, of their lungs and really focus on that for one minute. And each and every guy within that um, uh, course said at the end they really felt like they had just put their feet on the ground. They had time to sort of really focus on the here and now rather than worry what was or what is to come but really be in the moment and what they found is when they were dealing with their partner back home and things were stressful things weren't going right uh, complications were occurring and solutions hadn't been found for different problems what they found is once they took that one minute mindfulness uh, that little one minute gap they found themselves refreshed and ready to attack whatever it was from a different perspective, a calmer perspective. They, they came at it from a, a, a more relaxed angle, and I think that helped them greatly. And these guys still meet two years on every month, uh, which uh, I, I feel great pride that they have connected personally amongst themselves. I know that we often use mechanics, cars, driving as uh, a metaphor for our own journeys, but I think it's useful in this circumstance as well. The idea, if the outcome is, okay, I want you to drive to X destination, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that someone would just sit in a car and would automatically know how to get to that destination is a stupid idea. Mm. And yet that's often what we ask people to do with their mental health and their mindfulness and their self-management. And this really is the process of learning how to adjust your seat, how to put the key in, what the dashboard means, uh, you know, where the indicators are, what the accelerator and brake do. This is the process to be able to get you to the destination you want, right? I like the analogy. I, I, it takes me right back to the first day that I got in a car and my dad was about to teach me to drive. My, my heart was in my mouth. And my palms were sweaty. I, I just wanted to go. <laughs> then all of a sudden dad started throwing in this now you've got to check your mirrors and you've got to adjust your seat and you've got to, all those things that you just talked about and it was like an overwhelming feeling that I was 
out of control and, and couldn't deal with it. And dad asked me just to calm down and he said, do the things I've said. So let's adjust the seat, take the time, adjust the, the, the mirrors. Can you see out of the, can you see your blind spot? Can you, da, da, da. He says, right now we've done all that. We're finished. Now we're going to drive. And it was like someone just popped the balloon and I, I deflated and I could concentrate on the driving because all mm. the things had been put in place. So I suppose what we're doing is at the moment you know that you're overwhelmed, you need to come to that point of saying, I'm overwhelmed. Now I'm going to do something about it. That little one-minute mindfulness to get yourself into the moment and then from that space of um, awareness – you then plan the way forward. Uh, and that's the same as happened to me when I was driving. And I'd also suggest recalling my own memories of that process is uh, be gentle on yourself and realize it won't necessarily come first time because I can remember having a tantrum and say, how come little old ladies can drive and I can't get this right? So uh, it, it does take a few goes before you master it as well, doesn't it? Oh, in the back of your mind, it's always my mates are going to get their license. First. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So no, Calm down, check your mirrors, and then you'll at least make it to the test. Yeah. Uh, so good to catch up as always, Stuart. Thank you very much. And look, I encourage people if you are on this journey and you would just like a little bit of extra support, yes, obviously, Stuart and his program are normally out there trying to spread the word, but there's a limited capacity for that at the moment. Mm. What I encourage you to do is make use of the online resources. It really is as simple as if you go to menshed.org or the AMSA website and you dive in there at almost any point, the Men's Shed online or any of the blogs or any of uh, uh, the men's health sections there, you will open up a portal that even if it doesn't directly address the concern that you have at that moment, you will see all the resources that you can jump off to. There's websites to visit, there is phone calls if that's more your speed. But really, if you go onto menshed.org, it will open up a world and team, it's 2020 and it's now time to embrace this stuff. The idea of suppressing it down and pretending it isn't there. Yeah, that's a good way to put yourself in a box early. So let's not do that, shall we? Stuart, thank you. We'll talk again next episode, mate. Fantastic. Thanks, Aaron. You take care, mate. You too, my friend. That is Men's Health Project Officer for the Australian Men's Shed Association, Stuart Torrance. Now on the Shed Wireless, let's see who's working in the shed. To find out who is working in the shed this week, we head to Western Sydney and wander into the Parramatta District Men's Shed. A place to tinker, chat and have a cuppa is the promise that they make. And Volunteer Secretary of the Parramatta District Men's Shed is Rob Collis. Hi, Rob. Hey, Aaron. How are we going? Great, thank you. Welcome to the Shed Wireless. Uh, that's the promise, a tinker, a chat and a cuppa, but what is the Parramatta District Men's Shed experience? Our vision and motto is um, improving life for men or improving men's health in Parramatta. That's our overarching vision and mission uh, statement that we created uh, probably probably a few months ago now. How do you go about doing that? We have a shed. We, we started in 2012 is when the licence was signed. Um, December 2012, and uh, then we took another 12 months uh, to modify the building that we were, were given um, a, a lease on, 
and uh, and then 2014 February we officially launched the shed. Um, so what we do at the shed is we we make a series of um, different things available for our members as gardening, woodworking, metalworking, uh, and, and various other little bits and pieces. Um, so they they come along and uh, do a bit of work and have a chat and mingle and uh, basically make friends. And uh, we do have some people that come along and all they want to do is sit in the uh, meeting room and either watch a video or um, have a chat with other people who are there or just have a bit of socialising. Um, so that, that's all good too. So that's, that's the broad scope of how we um, comply with that motto. I want to talk a little bit about your shed, the physical space of your shed. It's a location with an interesting history, isn't it? Yes, yes. It was an interesting find, actually. Um, I, I wasn't actually on the group that uh, did the finding. I came along probably six months after they'd found the building. But uh, it's housed in what's known as the uh, Parramatta Female Factory Precinct, which <laughs> dates back to the early 1800s. And it was an institution for, um, for convict uh, women who had no abode or nowhere to go to originally. And uh, it then moved into various other things, one of them being a lunatic asylum and, uh, and various other things like that. So it's had quite a, quite a checkered history. And um, it was actually uh, or another co-tenant uh, with uh, tenants near us, uh, Bonnie Durick, who is in the um, Friends of um, uh, Parramatta Female Factory, um, uh, was actually interviewed for the Royal Commission into Abuse Against Children um, because of all the stuff that went on in those days. So for men to be on this site is, um, <laughs> is, is quite an quite a unusual thing. Um, but the way it worked was that um, we were looking for a premises and uh, our local member, a state member, Dr Jeff Lee, uh, happened across the building that we currently occupy and it was unoccupied. It used to be a um, an administration centre for, uh, for for docs um, for child support, uh, and uh, the Department of Health then failed to continue using it. And uh, so we we got a Guernsey to uh, to look at it, and we said yes, it'll do fine. We took four rooms, I think it was at the time. Now, there were six rooms in total, and then about uh, two months later, um, uh, we um, heard about Bonnie and the work that she was doing and offered a room to her to uh, join us in the... because there was plenty of room for all of us. Mm. And uh, so that's how we have come to cohabit with, um, with the female factory. And uh, our members are, are obviously very respective of what we need, uh, and we have quite a good uh, relationship with the female factory. We do a lot of work for them in helping them out with little bits and pieces that they want done, signs putting up and buildings, um, you know, things repaired and that sort of stuff. So it's been, been a good relationship. So that's the that's the short uh, end of the story of the background there. Um, it's not a permanent uh, home at the moment. Uh, we've been without a lease for the last um, or a year, I guess, a year and a half on a monthly, monthly basis. Uh, but it's looking more and more likely that it's going to become a permanent home but until that lease is signed for a permanent home, then we haven't got one. <laughs> it sounds like a perfect home. Can you take us on a virtual tour of it? Because it's obviously a historic building, but it doesn't necessarily evoke images of a men's shed the way you've described it. Can you take us on a little tour? Yeah, sure. Um, the, the actual building that we occupy is 
more of a recent building. I think it was probably put up in around the 1960s, 70s, something like that. And it was actually built as a um, as a school room or school rooms. And there are six rooms in total in one building. And uh, they'd be, oh, what are they there? I think they're about six metre by six metre rooms. Um, so our meeting room is, is uh, one of the rooms there and we have an office on that for the executive administration. And in that meeting room, uh, we, we have um, seating for about uh, about 30 uh, bods around the table. We've got a uh, nice big um, smart TV up on the wall. We've got an overhead projection system in the area there that operates off Bluetooth and all that sort of stuff. Um, we've got a Wi-Fi connection through the building so that if anybody wants to hook into it with their mobile phones or, or computers, they can do that. Um, the meeting room is where we do our training. Um, we, we do uh, training uh, sessions on all different types of things, really. Um, first aid, um, we run a safety video once a month on the machinery in the shed, a different machine each month. We run um, woodworking, uh, wood turning courses, uh, metal turning courses, that sort of thing. Um, we also have a couple of guys who are quite IT savvy in the organisation. And uh, we applied for a Be Connected grant a little while ago, and they gave us a grant to buy uh, computers um, and, uh, and, and um, licences to uh, enable us to train our men and their, their partners and friends in the shed. So uh, once a month we've been running IT uh, computer courses, uh, you know, mobile phone, how to use the mobile phone, how to connect to the internet, all those sorts of things that the older population tends to have a problem with. And then we walk through a door and we have a storeroom where we keep um, our really high-end um, handheld equipment. We have um, some very nice FezTool equipment that has been donated to us through FezTool. Um, they ran a couple of training courses for their um, trade people and part of the payback was some nice tools. <laughs> um, then we walk into the next room, which is a small uh, two-metre by two-metre room, and in there we have a CNC router set up. Um, so we do some very fancy CNC routing and lettering and uh, making all sorts of odds and ends. It was primarily bought um, for one of the projects we have, which is making little odds and ends for a disability centre just up the road from us in Harris Park called Fleetwood where they have disability kids come in and uh, the kids sand and paint and uh, make these uh, little items that we produce into something that's a little bit saleable for them but it also gives the kids there something to do and that's been a great project. Then we walk into the next room and this next room is a six metre by six metre room which has got or about four benches in there for layout and uh, around the corners we have uh, drill presses and a laser engraver, a scroll saw, a tool sharpening machine um, and various bits and pieces like that. And uh, that room is the main room where people lay out their, their, their projects, build them and assemble them. Um, and we walk through into the next classroom which has got a big window uh, in it no glass or anything, it's just a see-through window, um, which we can look from the layout room into the next room. The next room is probably a little bit smaller, about 5 or 5, and in there, in the centre of the room, we have uh, our um, our table saw, a twin drum sander, 
a large uh, bandsaw and a large thicknesser. And then around the walls we have um, five um, fairly modern wood layers. Uh, and on the other side of the wall we have a small thicknesser and a uh, jointer machine. And that's all hooked up into a couple of uh, dust extraction systems uh, which are, are portable and movable. Uh, we also have a large um, default a drop saw bench um, at the back of that. Um, and that, that makes a, a really well-equipped room. It's taken taken us a few years to get this all together, of course. It hasn't happened yeah. ago. Um, and then we walk through the next room, and uh, that's a storeroom for our metal workers where they have all their jewel bits and pliers and welding rods and all that sort of stuff. Uh, then into the next room is the main metalwork room, which again is about a five-by-five room. And uh, we have very large um, Havco uh, metal lathes. We've got uh, dual presses. Um, we've got milling machines. We've got a vertical and horizontal uh, band saws, metal cutting band saws. Um, we've got a bender folder and um, uh, and a cut-off saw um, and various other things like that. We also use that metal room um, to restore old machinery that comes into the shed um, that we uh, restore and get functioning and then sell. That's a little bit of a, a profit maker for, for the shed. And then lastly, uh, we go out onto the veranda and around the corner and we go into uh, the last little room that we have, which is our garden room and uh, paint store. Uh, and we also have our barbecue in there. So that's a brief run-through um, of, of our shed. Sounds fantastic. You've got a future in real estate if this men's shed lark doesn't work out for you, Rob. That was very impressive indeed. Uh, one thing that I noticed in researching about your shed is uh, often in the regional and rural sheds, we talk about the, the tyranny of distance, but it's in a high-density area like Parramatta, it's almost the opposite problem. It's the lack of space uh, that has gobbled up so many sheds and the fact that a lot of people are living in units or just don't have a shed space of their own. So uh, that has been a factor in your growth? I guess with the facility that we've got, we're extremely lucky in the space that we've got and what we can do and how we've laid it out. We 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 are finding... Um, we're one of the few men's shed around, apparently, that actually do metalwork. So we actually have people coming from quite a distance just just for the metalwork side of it. Interesting. Um, which is interesting. I mean, we, we have members um, that come from uh, Lane Cove, which is, you know, 10K away. Um, we've got people coming from Fairfield, which is going about 10K away. Um, the majority of our members are, are would travel, you know, 5 to 10K. Um, we, we don't have a lot of people who come in from the local units and that sort of stuff, which, which is surprising. But um, that's just the way it is. You've partially alluded to it there. What then is the mix of men in your shed? Yep. Um, we, we've got a, a, a quite an interesting age range and, and profile. Um, the youngest, I uh, was just looking at the figures there last night, the youngest uh, member of the shed at the moment is 27. Um, we have had uh, a couple of chaps uh, who were in their early 20s. Um, and the oldest member we have is 87. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, we have uh, 74 um, fully paid up members. Uh, and so the, the age range is there. We've got uh, between 18 and 35, we've got about 10% of the membership. 
65 to 90 is about 10%. So the 36 to 65 age range is 80% of our our membership, Um, which is good because it means we've attracted some young people, we've got some old people, and we've got the majority in the middle, which um, has worked really well because we get out getting a lot of... um, of uh, technical knowledge being transferred between the older and the younger and and vice versa. Now, the younger guys are showing the older guys some of the more modern technologies and, and uh, ways of doing things. And so the transfer is happening rather nicely. And there's a good, there's a good fantastic mentor mix that seems to be coming into that uh, that group. But the other thing that is interesting is the profile of the members themselves. We, we have... Um, we have a couple of aircraft engineers. Um, we have a couple of civil engineers. Um, a couple of them retired. Some of them still uh, working. Um, we've got quite a few fitters and turners. We've got accountants. We've got um, a lawyer. Um, and we also have quite a few guys who have been truck drivers and uh, and, and labour-type people, um, carpenters, um, that sort of thing in the mix. So we've got a really broad mix, um, both uh, in, in, in profession and, and ability, but also in, um, in uh, ethnicity too. Um, we have uh, a couple of guys there from Iran who the only way we can communicate with them is through Google Translate on the phones. Uh, that causes a little bit of a, a fun, but at least we're getting through to them and they're having a lot of fun. Um, we uh, we have um, a range of other other guys who are non-Australian background, um, uh, and we, we just recently uh, have had an Aboriginal member come and join us, which has been fantastic. So we've got a, quite a spread. Brilliant. So just bringing it back personally, then you're from a geospatial and information systems background, which doesn't necessarily mean an expertise in creation of products. So what have you learned? What's your expertise become within the shed? Yeah, I've had a lot of fun in the shed. In the early days, uh, when in 2013, when we were establishing the shed, I had just retired. And so I was looking for something I could put my energies into, and uh, and I wanted to have a complete change um, from the uh, high-pressure position that I did have. Mm. And so I was very keen to get hands-on and do some lathe work, which I've done at high school, like a lot of people have. Uh, and so in that first few months, I, um, I did all that. And then um, somebody sort of twigged to the fact that I had a good bit of management experience behind me and asked me if I'd become the secretary. So I did, and that's where I've been ever since. Um, and it's been an exciting time because I, we've been able to help to grow the shed from you know, five members up to our current uh, membership, 74. Um, we're totally self-funded, so we've um, raised uh, various projects in the shed. We, we don't go out and do barbecues and that sort of stuff at Bunnings to raise money. We use the ability and skills that are in the shed to make products and to do jobs for people in the community as they come in. And that seems to have worked very well. So out of that, I've been able to actually do some of these projects and spearhead some of these projects, which has been brilliant. But I've also been able to use my management skills in helping to establish the shed and get all our policies and procedures in place and and, uh, just develop a really nice functioning shed. 
Um, we, we have we have an absolutely amazing morale in the shed. I, I, I haven't seen another group that has the morale that we seem to have. And uh, you know, just as an example of that, with this coronavirus, um, just before uh, the sheds were asked to close, we were starting to implement a roster system, so we had a maximum of ten people in any one day at the shed which was the capacity that the shed could handle with the four-metre square rule. Um, and uh, and then we just implemented that and we had to close the shed. So um, after that, uh, we decided um, that we'd share every member's email and phone number with, with each other member who opted in. And uh, we've done that. So each member is now making contact uh, with other people in the shed um, by that means. But we also do a Zoom um, video conference um, Mondays at 10 o'clock and Fridays at 4 p.m. And we've been getting up to 15, uh, sometimes 20 people on those Zoom sessions and different people each time, which is reflecting the people who would normally attend the shed. So we've been able to keep a a contact regime, I guess, um, through the members. Um, in that manner. So it's one of the things that have come out of all of this is it's just the morale of the shed. It's just amazing. Rob, some fantastic stories. I feel like I've spent time in the Parramatta District Men's Shed after uh, hearing you tell those stories today and clearly a cornerstone of that local community. As I said at the start, you promise a place to tinker, chat and have a cuppa, but it sounds like it's a heck of a lot more than that as well. Thank you for being our Working in the Shed guest on the Shed Wireless today. That is Rob Collis, the Volunteer Secretary of the Parramatta District Men's Shed. And if you would like to do what Rob just did and tell us a little bit about who's working in your shed and what's working in your shed, then it's as simple as dropping us a line to the Shed Wireless at menshed.net. That's the Shed Wireless at menshed.net. Tell us a little bit about why your shed is interesting and why everyone would like to hear it on the Shed Wireless. And who knows, we might be in touch. This is the Shed Wireless. This is the future-focused episode of The Shed Wireless, and in previous episodes, we've been looking back through the history of the Australian men's shed movement with a man who knows as much about that as perhaps anyone in the world, Professor Barry Golding. He is patron of the Australian Men's Shed Association, inaugural chair of the International Men's Shed Organization, and of course, the author of the men's shed movement, The Company of Men. Having seen how the shed movement has evolved and emerged both in Australia and around the world. What is next for the shedding movement? What does the future look like? Let's hear what Barry has to say about that. And of course, we're also joined by the Executive Officer of the Australian Men's Shed Association, David Helmers. Men's health and well-being is important. And I think men generally in in countries where men's sheds have developed are acknowledged as an important part, not the only part, but an important part of reaching men who might otherwise be beyond the formal health radar. And I guess governments have acknowledged that uh, sheds can do this sort of informal work of keeping men connected and well 
uh, in a relatively inexpensive way. Uh, it's not costing the government nothing, but it's costing a lot less than having more men in um, aged care or more men um, uh, uh, falling, uh, more men chronically ill. And while there's a lot of unwell men in sheds, there's a lot of evidence that men are happier, more at home, more socially connected. Uh, and I think one of the things that jumps out in the research in the last few years, and it can be summarised in three words, not just for men, but isolation is deadly. And uh, any form of isolation uh, can be deadly, including for some people, unfortunately, um, being in lockdown. But I guess we're in lockdown at the moment for, for very good and sound reasons. But people who are unable to uh, get out, people who, are, who have no family, people who are living in one-room houses, people with a disability, people who are retired at a loose end, can be dangerous to themselves and can be dangerous to other people in terms of not being happy, not being well, uh, resorting to um, uh, substances, whether it be alcohol, tobacco or whatever else, or, or, or simply um, eating inappropriately. And I think while men's sheds are not health sheds, uh, men's sheds are healthy. And the word that John MacDonald, one of the other um, proud AMSA patrons uses, he uses the, the term salutogenic, which means basically health giving. So men's sheds aren't about providing health services. They are intrinsically health giving by virtue of the fact that they bring people together and they enable people to relate in an informal way and talk about their health issues and by, by so doing inform themselves or invite experts in. And I guess that's the role that AMSA has played, not by being the dead hand of, of health professionals, but by finding ways of reaching men, such as through the, 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 um, the health initiatives that they do, uh, they're done more in an indirect way. And David might like to say more about this. David, as the executive officer of the Men's Shed Movement, you are involved in the day-to-day -day minutiae, but you're also involved in setting a vision for the organisation and the movement. You constantly have an eye to the future and what possible opportunities and threats there are. What are your thoughts about what's next? Barry and I and, and John McDonald had discussions on this and I think sheds, you may go back a little bit in the way they do things and the focus they have. Yeah, we've, we've spoken about the health there, but the health is tied also with you know, education and that meaning, having that meaningful purpose. Um, some of the certainties we know is that there will be high unemployment, um, which will put in turn demand onto the sheds. Um, I think when we have to learn from those experiences in Ireland that Barry mentioned before when the 
uh, the end of the global financial crisis and the demographics of the men's shed was mu was much younger than what it was here in Australia at the time. And I think we'll see that again. We, in a lot of the surveys we've done over the years, men have in the sheds have asked us and said they want to engage with younger men um, and wanted some guidance on how to do that. Well, I think coming out of this COVID-19 world, when we are, when the sheds are back open, there will be that opportunity to, to and the, I would say it's an opportunity and also a need uh, from a community perspective for the sheds to you know, have a younger membership. I think there will also be the opportunity there for <coughs> sheds to provide what they do well as informal training and formal training and help mentor youth and younger people um, for many reasons, not just educational, but for mental health perspective as well, and some guidance on you know rebuilding their lives and you know starting new business opportunities. You know, there's the social entrepreneur side of sheds that can evolve and maybe an incubation type uh, atmosphere for you know creating new businesses. These are all the opportunities that we have to look at. I think. The first stage, however, they will be the reopening of the sheds, and yeah, we're already doing some work in that regards. But we'll have to wait, um, as well as what the government's guidance will be like. And I dare say, when sheds can reopen, there will be some constraints around how many people can be in the shed at any given time, and we have to work with the sheds to help them, uh, give them the the tools to actually be able to manage that. And I know this idea will make a number of the shedders listening bristle at the very thought, but I'm also aware that some other sheds are already well down this path. Because of generational change, that is inevitable. Are we going to have an increasing transformation to digital? Is that the reality as digital natives age and they have familiarity with a different set of tools? It's a bit hard to say. Um, I think the research shows that a lot of older men don't have digital literacies. Um, Australia doesn't have perfect internet connection and some people don't have access to um, the mobile technology. And I'm an old bloke of over 70 and, and we had to stuff around for quarter of an hour for me to get this um, recording system <laughs> to work. But Barry, you still have a 1987 Nokia mobile phone. No, no, look, that died a while ago, David. <laughs> um, I, I actually switch it on these days. But look, I I was a late adopter for, for mobile. I, 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 let's go back. I believe that face-to-face -face communication will still be really important. And I think that while digital technologies will probably lead people to, to, to be more connected uh, through the shed and people are more likely perhaps to, to, to be in contact with other shed using Zoom or Skype or whatever simple um, media technologies available to them, in the end, a lot of us have worked with those technologies during their life and people don't want um, more 
uh, more social, more IT in retirement, they often want more social contact. And I think that'll always be important. That's not, not to play down the importance of this. I think the other thing to note is that research shows that a lot of people in Australia, particularly older people, aren't formally literate. Um, you know, the three of us who are talking can read a newspaper and uh, understand the instructions on a medicine bottle and read a, 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 tra a train timetable. But a lot of people don't have those literacies. In fact, a third of the Australian population is functionally illiterate. So using, using uh, print technologies or even using digital technologies is not going to reach everybody. And it's the people who are least able and who are least literate who often need most social contact in order to keep them uh, keep them uh, happy and well. That is a brilliant answer and I think a pretty good North Star for the future of shedding. I want to get a final thought from you both. Let's project ourselves five years into the future. I'm sure we won't have aged a day. What is the state of the shed movement five years from now? What will we be able to say about shedding in 2025, 2026? David? Look, I think the role of sheds, and again, getting back to the core here, as a in a post-COVID nineteen world, I think the role of sheds and the activities of sheds may change. I think, um, and not in a good way or a bad way, but in a productive way. I think we are going to see that influx of younger people into the shed. And Barry, you were talking there about the technologies and that. And I've seen this in a lot of sheds, the way they've engaged with younger members is by having activities technology-based within the shed. And this, Darwin is a great example of how they do that. They are very big on 3D printing up there and they have a much younger membership base. I think younger people coming into the sheds, again, it's mentoring sometimes is a two-way street. They will want to bring activities into the sheds that are relevant to them and i think that will have a bit of an influence on the shed in a operational type sense and within that operational sense will flow on to how the sheds uh then operate and are seen within the community yeah i i think that's i agree with you i think that in the future in five years time that they'll in in biggest centers there'll be more shed specialisation. So I reckon that some of the next frontier is, is finding ways to work with men in aged care settings and working with dementia. Uh, some of that early work was done in South Australia, really groundbreaking work. But I, I think that's really one of the new frontiers. I do believe that in some smaller country towns, men's sheds in places like Lightning Ridge and near, near to where I live in, in Dereal in central Victoria are good examples where the shed is effectively the community centre. Although it's called a men's shed, it functions as a community centre for men and women, for kids, for programs, for social organisations, for social connection, for services, for recycling. In a sense, 
just like the community houses were for women in the in the 1980s and 1990s men's sheds take on in some places a much broader role um, in the community with men and women that's not a bad thing um, there'll still be uh, times and places and sheds where the important stuff happens just with men in the shed but i think we're getting to a point where um, we're getting to a point where uh, it, we'll, we'll move towards greater specialisation, particularly in bigger centres, and probably a broadening out of the roles the men shed, as David anticipated, with more younger men. And I think we'll also see a lot more internationalisation. I think that my, my prediction is that there'll be um, there'll be several hundred if not a thousand men sheds in the US within five years. I hope the three of us are able to assemble again in five years' time. I hope that we have a vibrant shedding movement to talk about, one with a proud past and a secure future. David Helmers, Executive Officer of the Australian Men's Shed Association, thank you. I've loved hearing more through Barry and yourself about how integral you were to the emergence of what the shed movement is today and thank you too to you barry golding for your unparalleled knowledge on the history of this movement both here and around the world not a problem thank you and thank you david thank you barry i know that all across australia and all across the world many many shedders have appreciated you giving them some context for where we find ourselves today here on the shed wireless You're listening to The Shed Wireless. And that is where we will pull the door closed on another episode of The Shed Wireless. David, I know that you have had to wander back into the office in this last week, so uh, the world continues to change. It does, it does. And um, I've noticed a bit of an increase in the traffic on the roads um, already this week, so... You know, getting back into that routine into the office and I was just getting into the routine from working from home so yeah another change but uh, with my young son going back to school yep it's time I go back to the office as well <laughs> yes it's uh, it's been blessed relief in this house as well a reminder if you would like to drop us an email then you can do so at theshedwireless at menshed.net theshedwireless at menshed.net please spread the word we're getting a little bit of anecdotal feedback that while all of the sheds are finding out about the shed wireless it's not reaching every single individual so anything that you can do to tip a mate into this and i know that it's a little bit technological but if you at least make them aware of it they might have someone in their realm who can make sure that they're getting it onto however they need to listen to it their computer or their phone or whatever in their part of the world so please spread the word and let your mates know give us a rating if you are tech savvy because that helps other people find it makes it a lot easier and just be aware you can get it through the website of course the AMSA website you can also get it through any of your podcasting apps you should follow us on Men's Shed's Facebook as well because there's some good and interesting information there and we're looking forward to being shoulder to shoulder again but I do think we've entered a new era where virtual shoulder to shoulder is going to be here to stay 
because it's provided some value. Thank you, David. We'll see you next episode. Thank you, Aaron. We'll speak to you again soon, mate. That is David Helmers, the Executive Officer of the Australian Men's Shed Association. I'm Aaron Carney, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Shed Wireless. Mm-hmm.